Hello and welcome to the Gospel Forum Podcast. We are a collective of Reformation-minded Christians. My name is Pilgrim Benham. I'm the host today. And with me, I've got some great friends, including Nick. Hello. And actually, we have Micah here who has never been on the podcast. Hey, guys. Great so to welcome. be here. Thank you. So tell, tell us, I mean, we've had a little bit of an opportunity to introduce ourselves a little bit, but we haven't heard from you yet. Yeah, who are you? Yeah, good question. It's something I'm asking myself still. No, uh, my name is Micah. Um, I have a privilege of being one of the pastors at uh, Calvary Shoreline, um, and uh, most of my uh, ministry revolves around uh, our worship ministry and missions as well. Um, and so, it's a privilege to um, to be tracking along uh, with the last couple episodes and to finally get in on one. I know Dan is, every time he sees me, he's saying, Michael, we got to have you on. Yeah, he's relentless uh, a he little is. bit. Cracks he the is. whip. I love it. And the amazing thing is Keeps he's me not even order. here. Um, and here I am. So. Well, honestly, I was talking to Dan earlier, and he said Michael was just waiting for Dan to disappear. <laughs> so, <laughs> No. <laughs> this is the moment. Let's see the opportunity. Go. I'm the host now, and we got Mike in. So um, today we have a very special episode. Today, of course, is Good Friday. And so to really talk about what makes Good Friday good, Nick has a fabulous article. It's called Why the Cross is Necessary. And so we're just going to be in today uh, really focusing our attention on the reality of Good Friday and and the cross. So Nick, uh, why is the cross necessary? Tell us, let's unpack this a little bit. Sure, Uh, so I don't wanna give too much away just because I want everyone to read the article. But first, um, we look all the way back in Genesis chapter two in verse 17, where it says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now. Some might might say, well, what does this have to do with the cross at all? It doesn't say the word cross there. Uh, However, it does talk about uh, partaking of a tree is what causes death. Sure. So then we keep going through the rest of the story and we see in Deuteronomy 21. um, This is a, you know, passage where nobody ever looks because, well, that's law, that's Old Testament. No one really cares about that. But Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23 says, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain uh, all night on the tree, but shall bury him on the same day. And a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile uh, defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, uh, those who are gospel-minded people who are a little bit more familiar with their New Testament, they actually know that this is where both Peter and Paul, both in their sermons throughout the book of Acts, as well as their own letters, uh, that they're drawing from this very passage where it says, Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. Hmm. Wow. So it was foretold. In the Old Testament, we have it in the garden. We have a, you know, if you partake of the tree, you've now broken the law of God. And yes. so the law implicitly says, if you're actually hung on a tree, then you've now received the curse, right? Or a curse from God. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to bring the whole story together, it, it's incredible that man is cursed because of a tree, but he's also saved because of a tree. Mm, so, okay, so unpack that. So how does the cross of Jesus Christ 
play into the Old Testament, play into the, the garden. How does that have anything to do with the curse there? Sure, absolutely. I mean, as stated, you know, uh, Galatians 3.13, uh, as well as uh, 1 Peter 2.24, both are the passages that cite from Deuteronomy here. Uh, and you see, you know, multiple sermons throughout the book of Acts. They actually cite that passage, but they pair it with the cross. Um, a lot of times when we think hanging on a tree, we think of, you know, the old westerns where somebody has a noose around their neck and they're hanging from a tree but that's really kind of a modern concept um i mean when you are nailed to a cross you are hanging from wood that was made from a tree sure um but you also see throughout the rest uh other areas in the old testament uh psalm 22 for example uh hands and feet are nailed and pierced um, stretched out, you know, clothes are ripped, cast lots. You see a lot of uh, the Old Testament really kind of uh, painting a picture, you know, bits and pieces along the way. But when you finally get to the end of the Old Testament, you see something about, you know, being pierced to wood with arms stretched out wide. And crucifixion wasn't invented until the Assyrians uh, much later, but perfected by... Um, the Romans. Right. So this is this is actually something described in vivid detail yes. hundreds and hundreds of years before even invented. Yes. Right. So great. So we definitely want to check out your article that's that's up on the gospelforum.com today. And because today's Good Friday, this is a day where we celebrate and it feels a little bit weird celebrating um, the crucifixion. But Micah, can you can you talk us through this idea of theologically we call it substitutionary atonement? And kind of like a penal substitutionary atonement. What does that even mean? What is why is that important? Right. Well, I mean, this is important because uh, unfortunately we live in a day and age where these essential doctrines—the doctrine of cro- the cross, the doctrine of Christ's finished work—is under attack. And it's not anything new. I mean, this has been under attack uh, for centuries, but it always you know, it tries to pop up uh, in new ways. Um, but as we look at God's word, God's word is very clear um, that Christ came as a substitute for our sins um, and that the shedding of blood was necessary. Of course, we read in Hebrews 9.22 that without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So to put it, to put penal substitutory, substitutionary atonement um, into just a couple phrases, it basically means this. I mean, I know they're big words, but it's actually very simple to understand. Uh, our sin, the sin of human beings was placed on Jesus so that as a substitute for sinners, he took on him the penalty we deserved. And some um, authors and scholars have called it the great exchange. Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus took on our sin and uh, we receive the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. It's this amazing, amazing concept. And it's so important. It's so important. Um, It goes back. The importance of the cross goes back to our view of sin. Um, And so in order to deny penal substitutionary atonement, you have to start denying uh, or modifying other important doctrines. So this is a foundational thing that we've got um, as pastors, uh, as churches, we have to be bringing this out each year. Yeah, and it is so important. Why do so many people shrink back from understanding or promoting or teaching that? In other words, why do we 
constantly move away from wanting to affirm this doctrine, this truth? Why, why is this something we skate around often? Sure. I think one of the biggest reasons why is because um, the law is so neglected in uh, the church nowadays. Yeah. Um, so much so, like, and I don't want to say just neglected in the sense that it's ignored. It's, I, I would say the majority that's the case, but we have this concept that, oh, well, that's Old Testament. That's the law. I'm under grace. Well, yeah, it's true. You're under grace in the sense that you are not under the condemnation of the law. Um, but uh, are you still commanded to fulfill the moral law of God? Yes. Um, but the thing is, is Christ fulfilled that for us because we broke it moment by moment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a trend today, you know, by really many is. evangelicals to just dismiss even all of the Old Testament, which yeah. is not a new idea. They want to unhitch from it's, it. Uh, exactly. We won't point any fingers, name no, any names no, no, no. on this podcast, but, nope. um, and, you know, we call that antinomianism, right? Yes. And that's, that's just yeah. kind of... Uh, or, and and what's, what's ironic is uh, the opposite end is legalism, and a lot of people think legalism is having too high of a view of the law, whereas what legalism actually says is that you are actually able to fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. So, ironically, both antinomianism and legalism are both low views of the law. Right. And Marcion was ultimately oh Marcion absolutely was just uh, he just completely not only did he say we should ignore the law of God but we should ignore the whole God of the Old Testament and if you go back uh, listen to our um, episode on the immutability of God you know that Marcion was just an outright heretic at that point so this is this has been trendy in the church for uh, centuries. Yeah, Marcion, uh, second century, 180-ish. Yeah. So, yeah, 1900 years. Yeah, and That's exactly right, Nick. And I think um, not only do we have a wrong view of the law, but we also are very easy to excuse away our sin. And, yes. And so I think if we lose the doctrine of original sin, that we get into serious problems. Yeah. Um, Michael Horton, he, he, he has this great quote on this. I'm, I'm summarizing a little bit, but he says, uh, if sin was just about negative actions, behaviors, or social systems, then just a moral example or demonstration of God's opposition to this would be fine. Correct. Um, if if the problem of sin was just about disease and suffering, uh, knowing that God cares and, and heals would fix it. But the condition of sin and its penalties is a judicial issue. Christ's death on the cross saves because it resolves the serious crisis between God and, and, and us, the human beings in the cosmic courtroom. Uh, and it all goes back to that. I think it all goes back to the doctrine of original sin. We yeah. inherit our sinful nature through Adam. Um, some in the past, some heretics in the past have denied that and said, no, 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 we just imitate. We just imitate Adam's sin. And um, and just to be clear, uh, one of those guys, his name is Pelagius, uh, basically said that we are a new Adam. And uh, one of the most common modern Pelagians uh, was a guy named Charles Finney. Uh, utterly denied uh, original sin. Uh, that's one of the reasons why, if you read his systematic uh, there's one very small chapter on justification, but seven very large chapters on sanctification. Mm. Um, because in his view, sin was just an act mm. uh, rather than a position. 
Right, right. And so if if that is true, then we logically should be able to resist sin or not even to sin at all. Correct. Um, and if that's the case, then what's the purpose of Jesus coming to the world? What's the purpose of the cross? Um, if you remove the doctrine of original sin, the sin-bearing substitute, um, Jesus, who removes all guilt and pays the price, it, it becomes unnecessary and irrelevant. And it's not a judicial problem. It's just a social ill. That's what it boils down to. It's just a social ill that can be fixed by moralism and positive thinking. Exactly. And then, you know, uh, with, there's this term that's being used by, uh, you know, a certain brand of evangelicals called moralistic therapeutic deism. And basically all that says is that if you do better, that's the moralism. The therapeutic uh, is that God comes and kind of counsels us. But that's about all God does. He just kind of sits back. You know, God, God's real. God doesn't really do much more than just the exist. Deist, the deist. Exactly. Yeah. But God kind of just helps you do the right thing. Yeah. That's really about it. But again, like, um, you know, as Micah stated that, you know, a neglect and an abandonment really of the doctrine of the uh, original sin, uh, as well as the low view of the law of God, that ultimately leads to a low view of the gospel Mm -hmm. because if you have a low view of the law and you essentially say one of two things one you're able to fulfill the law well if you're able to fulfill the law then you don't need a savior um right like paul says in galatians 2 21 if if righteousness could be attained through the law then christ died for nothing exactly Mm But then, then you have what's called antinomianism or anti-law, a, a rejection of the law altogether. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're not condemned of anything. There's right. no condemnation at all. Right. So then, again, Christ died for nothing. Right. So you have legal, legalism and antinomianism on the same coin, right. but then you have the opposite side of the spectrum is biblical Christianity, which says that God's law is very high, but it's unattainable. And the more you strive for it, the more condemnation you heap on yourself. But Christ came to fulfill that law. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, a high view of the law actually leads to a high view of grace. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And and I think a lot of the testimonies that that we hear lately seem to be, uh, Jesus saved me from my problems. And yes. so, you know, I used to be a drug addict and then I came to Christ. So then I stopped doing drugs and that's the end of their testimony. And it's like, I, I'd rather hear how Christ, yes, it's great that he set you free from your problem. That's Amen. wonderful. Sure. Uh, but that is a secondary, that's a, a way yeah. secondary. Um, yeah. you know, because what about the, blessing. what about beautiful, like powerful Christians like Charles Spurgeon? He had depression and gout until the day he died. Yeah. Are we to say that, well, he wasn't an actual believer or he didn't have enough faith? No, that, that's... His wife struggled for years and years as well. Amen. Yeah. So the, the greater and most important issue is that the wrath of God abideth on the sinner and yes. Christ has come to absolve the wrath of God and Amen. set sinners free. Amen. And yeah, you bring out another good point, Pilgrim. Um, another turn of this coin is the idea that we have to look at God's justice uh, on the cross as well. Um, And we have a tendency in in American evangelicalism to uh, focus on God's love. You know, a majority of songs about God's love, um, God's love. But just as God is perfect in love, he is also perfect in his justice. Yes. And 
Pilgrim, I remember um, a couple months ago we were at Shoreline. We were going through the book of Habakkuk. Yeah. Um, and in Habakkuk 1.13, it says that God's um, eyes are too pure to see evil. And he cannot look at wrong. Yeah. Um, and so God in his justice, he can't turn a blind eye to sin. Um, imagine if our, the judges in our court system would do that. Uh, we would, and maybe maybe they do do that, unfortunately, sometimes, but we would right, rightfully call them corrupt uh, and demand their removal. Um, so also, God cannot let sin go unpunished. Um, but Jesus' work on the cross comes in and fulfills God's justice. And I think all the time of that great song, um, Before the Throne of God Above, it captures it so well. It says, Such a good song. Yeah, it says, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Yeah. That There it is right there. Yeah, yeah we actually, um, I think about five years ago, one of the popular modern hymns in Christ Alone, one of the phrases had been changed, it had been amended from... Um, this idea of the wrath of God was satisfied to the love of God was magnified. Yeah. Actually changed the lyrics. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, fortunately, the writers are actually still alive because that song, a lot of people think that's a really old song, but it was only written in like 2001, 2002. Yeah. Uh, they actually, you know, went after that specific denomination uh, to said, correct it. Yeah. No, no. One, this is copyright violation. Right. <laughs> Two, uh, no, that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. Right. And, you know, the, the denomination had to relinquish that. Yeah. Um, and so there's a minimum, there's a minute, what we're saying here, there's a minimizing of the reality of the justice and the wrath of God. And, and ultimately the dual nature of imputation and substitution. So not only has, has God imputed our flawed record to Jesus, but on the flip side of that, um, he's also, um, given Jesus's perfect record to us. He's imputed yeah. that to us. The so, perfect record according to the law According of God. to the law, right. So we are counted law fulfillers, whereas Christ was counted a lawbreaker. Right. So the word justified, we used to learn growing up, just as if I'd never sinned. That's incomplete. It really would be just as if I've never sinned and Christ lived the perfect life through me. Correct. Ultimately. So um, let's make this personal. So at the actual crucifixion, there's a trial. We see it's a sham of a trial. Then we see Pilate basically releasing a guy by the name of Barabbas. And so Barabbas, really fascinating. His name actually means Bar, son of Abba, son of the father. So at the cross, we have like, you know, two sons of the father. So I always like to say on Good Friday, I'm Barabbas. I was the guilty one who deserved condemnation. and I've been freed because Christ took my place. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I would certainly say that. Um, what, what's also interesting is on the human side, it was a sham of a trial. But in a theological ultimate sense, actually, it was still a trial. Yeah. Because at the cross, Christ was counted guilty because you. Right. Because of me. We actually were counted guilty at the cross, but the condemnation was poured out on Christ rather than on us. Right. And that's the beautiful thing because uh, I love what you you say, you know, I am Barabbas. Why? Because Christ took the punishment of which I was already condemned for. You see, at the cross, we're not like, it's not that, you know, we become condemned. 
no, we stand condemned already, John 3.16. Right. Everyone stops at the end of verse 16. But 17 and 18 says, Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save. Why? Because those who do not believe stand condemned, condemned already. already. Yeah, that's already your status. Exactly. And, you know, Scripture says in uh, Romans, you know, 4 and 5, that we are condemned because of Adam's sin. Right. As Pilgrim, not Pilgrim, uh, Micah, sorry, uh, brought up before, that, again, original sin is not the first sin that occurred. It's not the original sin. It's our origin our right. original state is sin because mm-hmm. we are condemned because of Adam's sin. Our sin just adds to God's wrath ultimately. Yeah. But we are originally condemned because yeah. of Adam's sin and we are bound to him. And a lot of people don't think that's fair, but they accept the opposite side. Christ was the one that was counted righteous, but we are counted righteous because of Christ, not by us. Yeah. So we, we love that side of it, right. but not the, not the side that ultimately brings it about. For sure. Yeah. What would what would you uh, what would you say to another popular um, phrase that goes around that this is cosmic child abuse? What what God the <laughs> Father ordained for God the Son to go through? Um, Sorry, I'm just taking over there. Yeah, no, I <laughs> no. think it's a. I I, think... I, I, that's a great one. So okay, so where I went to college, uh, this was actually the view of the religion department, not just the students. Oh, wow. The religion department actually said penal substitutionary atonement is cosmic child abuse, so we reject that. Um, So I'd say a couple things. The first one is um, if you say that it's cosmic child abuse, by what standard are you making that statement? Mm -hmm. Are you saying that because your sense of justice stems from Scripture and the law of God? Mm -hmm. Well, not likely. (laughs) Uh, it's starting from yourself. What you believe right. is justice. What you believe is grace. What you believe salvation should be. Um, well, then that makes you the savior, right. not Christ, not God, ultimately. But um, I would also uh, ultimately, again, point back to scripture. Yeah. Um, cosmic child abuse assumes that Jesus went to the cross unwillingly. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we look at Hebrews 12, 2. Uh, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And that's where people stop. But if you keep going, because there is a comma there, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm-hmm. No, Jesus did not go unwillingly to the cross. Sure. Did he, you know, have some questions beforehand? Yeah. Like, and, you know, we can get into the theology of that later. But well, even John chapter 10, verse 18, no one takes it from me. I lay down my life of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I've received from my father. Yes. So you see, yeah. And we see the, you know, in Acts chapter two, we see the, the, and we've talked about this in prior episodes, but you know, the, the perfect sovereign plan of God in the, the awful, you know, tragedy, you know, from a human perspective of a crucifixion. And so, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a misunderstanding of thinking that a father's taking his unwilling child and beating him and getting some type of sick pleasure from it. And yet ultimately Christ went willingly. He'd lay down his life. This was according to the sovereign plan of God. And yet it was for the joy set before him, Hebrews chapter 12, that he endured the cross and scorned the shame. There's a shame of all types of execution, the most shameful, right, to be yeah. crucified. Um, and yet he scorned the shame because, you know, ultimately he saw beyond it and saw the joy 
So, so if I could uh, ask the next question. Wait, I, hold on, before sure. we get to that. Yeah, just, go ahead. There's, uh, I think, also a deeper um, issue to that that we don't often think about, and that is when you um, pit God as the angry father against Jesus, um, you divide the Trinity. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That is, yeah. That, that is that's horribly wrong. And it, and we're, this we could spend a lot of time on that. We're not going to. It goes deep into the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. But uh, simply said, um, since God is one in essence, and this is Richard Mueller who said this, since God is one in essence, one in knowledge and one in will, it would be impossible in any work for one member of the Trinity to do one thing and another member to do something different. So it's important for us to know that the Trinity is absolutely united in yes. their redemptive work Amen. on the cross. Amen. Um, So uh, I guess this will be the final question then is, okay, so the cross was something that was done in the past. And yeah, it wiped away all my, uh, all my sins, you know, in the past. And, you know, it wipes away my sins today and all my sins in the future. But does the cross have future significance? Hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people... um, kind of really don't touch on even like good like conservative um believers um and you know i'll just give my answer but i kind of want to hear what you guys have to say too here um touching on that hebrews 12 passage again you know looking to uh jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was uh set before him endured the cross despising the shame um it continues and it says and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the author of the Hebrews here um, actually pairs uh, not only Christ's ascension, but Christ's reign with the work of the cross. And I think we see that also in Revelation chapter 5. Um, you know, starting in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 9. It says, and they, that is the, the fellowship uh, before the Lamb, they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God and from uh, from every tribe and language and people and uh, nation, and they uh, and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Um, then I looked and I heard around the throne and living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, and they sang again and again, and. I think uh, this passage sometimes is a little misunderstood because um, people read it and they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Um, You know, and a lot of times I think they think, well, he was worthy because he was the root of David uh, or the stump of Jesse or the line of the tribe of Judah. And those are all true. Mm -hmm. But why was he worthy? It says, because you were slain. Yeah, that is why. And that is why Christ, when uh, the elder, you know, said, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah and John looks up and he sees a lamb and he's like, that's, that's always kind of confused me because it's like, wait a second, does this, this elder not know the difference between a lion and a lamb? Right. Uh, but it's also also confusing because he says uh, he looks up and he sees the lamb standing as if slain. You think again, well, a slain person is 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 not standing they're they're laying down they're dead yeah but it says he has conquered well conquered what death right why is he worthy because he conquered death yeah so this has future significance 
because it certainly brings about our redemption. It pairs it with, uh, by your blood, you ransom people. But it also says that Christ is worthy and his death also brought made us a kingdom and priest to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Right. Yeah, I mean, in Luke chapter 4, you know, Jesus is is teaching at Nazareth. He opens the scroll, Isaiah 61. Uh, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He gets to the point, you know, here's what he is here to do. And he gets to the point to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then at that point, he rolls up the scroll. But he rolls it up and stops right before the day of vengeance of our God. Because his first coming was to put an end to sin. It was to reconcile a people, you know, to the Father. Um, But his second coming ultimately will, you know, restore... We have to we have to live our lives in light of the cross. Uh, we can't look at the cross as okay that happened um, and that took care of everything and now I'm gonna just kind of live my life. Um, it did it did fully accomplish um, and and um, as a redemptive act for our sin yes. But uh, if we don't live our lives in light of the cross, we're gonna be missing um, we're gonna be missing out um, because. I, one of my old pastors um, said to me, um, any relationship that you have, um, be it husband and wife, be it um, boss, employee, be it regular friends, um, if you are living in light of what Christ has done on the cross, if you look to the cross, then you can, man, you should be asking yourself, man, why am I acting this way towards my wife? Why um, was I short? Why was I impatient? Why have I sinned against this person in light of what I know Christ has done? If we have our eyes upon the cross, then, and with the Holy Spirit's help in us, there's no reason why we can't move past these things and grow and be sanctified. Yeah, amen. Amen. Well, uh, just as kind of a a closing thought, uh, what is a good resource that someone can turn this podcast off and go Google, they can go search for it, that can show them, you know, some more information and to go a little bit deeper in this idea of of Good Friday or the atonement. Sure. Well, uh, if you uh, look at my article on the gospelforum.com, why the cross is necessary. But uh, I actually did put a couple books uh, uh, at the bottom there. Uh, One of them is The Cross of Christ by John Stott. I think it's probably one of the best books on the topic. Yeah. Very good. Micah, you have one? Yeah, I'm just trying to get the author here. Right. Um, It's called What is the Gospel? It's part of the Nine Marks um, series, and it's by Greg Gilbert. Um, That's who wrote that one. Very good. It's very short, very easy to understand, but they have a great section uh, in that book on the importance of the atonement. Looking back in the Old Testament to Passover and how those things tie together, I highly recommend that one. Awesome. Yeah, Yeah, I would uh, just throw in there... 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die, I believe, by John Piper. little booklet. Um, Fantastic. We recommend that all the time. Well, on behalf of the Gospel Forum, we want to encourage you to worship the Lord today, to understand that, that in Christ your sins have been paid for, and that you now have fellowship with the Father because of what Christ has done on your behalf. So celebrate that today. It is a good Friday. Amen. So until next time, keep on reforming.